Okay, I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, lots to talk about today. And um, we just finished reading uh, Parsha Shmini, uh, which is all about the dedication of the tabernacle. And it's coming right after we finished uh, the holiday of, of Passover, of Pesach. And of course, Pesach and Shavuos are totally connected. So we're basically on the road to Mount Sinai right now. We're marching along. And, uh, you know, I was thinking that, um, you know, if you want to sort of take an x-ray of the soul of the American Jewish uh, community, uh, for starters anyway, um, you see something kind of interesting, which is that even just in in terms of just like the, 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 the mass of people, like if you say, do you know Yom Kippur? Yeah. Uh, Purim? Yeah. Um, Simchas Torah? Yeah. Shvuz? Shvuz? What's Shvuz? And it's quite striking because, you know, we've got these three main holidays where all Jews had to go to Jerusalem and to bring offerings and everything like that. They were, they were the, like the, the three core holidays, like the, the holidays. And that's Passover, also known as Pesach. Shvuis, which we're going to get to in a moment, and Sukkot. So how could it be that Shvuis has like completely dropped out of the consciousness of so many people? And now, for those of you who don't know what Shvuis is, Shvuis is the holiday where we get the Torah at Mount Sinai. So it's just so I don't know. I don't know what I don't I don't know what words to use. Maybe heartbreaking would be a good word to start with. But how about just striking? It's just so striking that that the this sort of like core tenet of how we're Jews, why we're Jews, what we're doing in this world, the whole blueprint of the universe is 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 that great gap in our in our consciousness at a popular level. Okay, but of course when we start learning, we find out that that Pesach, that freedom, that the entire reason why we were freed was in order to get the Torah. You know, I was joking around with the Hebrew yesterday, and I said, you know, after God took us out of Egypt, like Moshe didn't say, all right, now listen, we've got a lot of fabulous options. A group of us are going to be going to Mount Sinai. Other of us are going to be going to Rye Playland. <laughs> you know, just make sure you sign up and put down your deposits. There are a lot of great options for you right now. That, that wasn't going on. Everyone went from Egypt to Mount Sinai because that was the goal of the entire thing. So, so, so we've said it before, but I'm going to go into more detail now. The whole concept is that freedom without direction, freedom without a plan, is not freedom. Because if you haven't got a plan, if you haven't got a higher calling, what to do with your freedom, then your freedom is just another form of slavery. Your freedom just becomes, okay, now I'm free, but what am I free to do? And basically, if you don't have a direction, if you don't have a vision, basically you just follow whatever your desires and impulses are of the moment. And you, sort of paradoxically, you become a slave to yourself. So the whole concept of going from Egypt to Mount Sinai is the ultimate freedom. And you need one in order to have the other. Now, this is expressed in a lot of beautiful ways. One of my favorite teachings of this, I heard from... Reb Elichai and Reb Shlomo's um, twin brother, I was privileged to have a, a Seder with him many years ago, um, and he said in the name of the Ishvitzer Rebbe that part of the Seder table is the egg. And people sort of try to explain, why do they have an egg on the, on the Seder table? And um, so he said in the name of the Ishvitzer that an egg is just half the story. What's the other half of the story is the chicken. Right? So Pesach is just half the story. The other half of the story is getting the Torah at Mount Sinai. The other half of the story, uh, the story is, is, is Shulis, right? So um, it's sort of keeping us focused on that. Now, now I want to go deeper in terms of this idea because right now we're in a we're in a period right now. We're in a period right now called Sfiras Haomer, which is that after we left Egypt, there was a fifty-day period before we actually got the Torah at Mount Sinai. So, so we actually have to wait. And I'm going to go into this a little bit more right now, because this, is, this gets very, very deep and really addresses the nature of our lives in this world. We leave Egypt, we have freedom, although we haven't gotten the Torah yet, and now we have to wait. So I heard Rabbi Shlomo say that if you want to be a Jew, 
Because the, when the Jewish people left Egypt, that's when we became the Jewish people. If you want to be a Jew, the first thing that you have to learn is how to wait. Which is actually a very intense concept. You know, that's a very intense concept. Not only that, but we actually say a blessing over each one of the days on the way to Mount Sinai. 49 days, 49 blessings. So listen to this. We actually go as far as to say that we, we, we bless the waiting period. In other words, it's not just because, you know, there's a famous uh, song lyric. I don't know, Tom Petty, if you guys know Tom Petty, but it's waiting is the hardest part, you know? But I don't think he made that up. I think, you know, it, God forbid we should know from it, but anyone who's waiting for a medical test to come back, you know, I mean, waiting is like, ay, 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 waiting is, is, is really hard, right? So usually the waiting part of our lives, that's the part that we want to get rid of. We don't want to do the waiting. And, you know, I, I think that it becomes harder and harder as, as, as we become more media-centric and more technologically advanced. Because, because when we watch movies and things like that, that seems to us to be the, the real depiction of reality. You know, I know someone... I know someone who, who went to the movies. This person sort of had a hard time. A very good person, but they went to the movies and, and they, 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 they said that right as the movie started, they heard a little voice in their head and said, ah, back to reality. Right? So, I think not everyone actually would voice such a thing, but, it, but I'll tell you what I mean. So, so, so this is probably all sounding pretty way out and kooky, but I'll tell you what I mean. You see, let's say, um, let's say you go out on a date, right? So, and let's say you want to get an outfit for the date, right? You really want to do it right. So, let's say, that's, that's oftentimes in the movies. You, you see things like that. So, the person is uh, at the store, and if it's, let's say, if it's a woman, she finds a dress that looks great, right? And then you cut to her at the house, and she's putting it on, and just putting on the finishing touches, and then you cut... And then there's a knock at the door, the person's there to pick them up, then you cut, and they're at the restaurant, or something like this, right? But how is it in real life? First you have to get into the car, then you have to drive to the store, (laughs) then you have to find a parking spot, (laughs) then you have to take an elevator from the garage to the store, and you have to wait for the elevator, right? Then you walk in and you hope that you find something in your size or something that you can actually afford. And if you can't, then you go to another store, right? And then maybe it's not even there. Then you get home. Then you have to get dressed, right? And then the guy's got to drive up and he's got to wait for the elevator to get to your place, right? And then you got to drive to the road. There's, there's so much waiting. There's so much waiting that gets cut out of these movies. You just go from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. And... You know, we, we, we like that, and why not, you know, because you'd be bored to tears if you had to watch these things in real time. But it has a very influential, almost, uh, well, I don't know how to say it, but it sort of like brainwashes us in a weird way into thinking that the normal waiting periods in our life are abnormal. You know, I, I had... A, Something, something, my, my six-year-old said to, to me this morning, something that, you know, I mean, I don't want to be overly dramatic, but, I mean, this is probably all of us, and it's not great, okay? So, and she didn't do anything wrong, but you, you'll see what I'm talking about in a second. She was on the computer, you know, playing some kind of video game online, and I had to check something, because uh, I wanted to look up a source for, for this talk this morning, so, so I went on the computer. And then she came up to me and she said, I said, I'll probably be back, I'll I'll be a little while, I'll be back two minutes. And then she said to me, I think this is almost a quote, she said, Daddy, it's three minutes already. I'm bored out of my mind. (laughs) You know, but this is all of us. This is all of us. And a lot of us really can't deal with boredom at all. I mean, I think a lot of drug addiction and substance abuse is in order to combat boredom. You know, when I think about what people do in, in like, really small towns and things like that, where there is nothing going on, you know, I, I don't know how they, 
how they keep it together, honestly, you know? At least in the city and things like that, you've got more distractions. But when you've got, when it's just you against this monolith of time, it's tough. It's really tough. Um, so anyway, anyway, this period of time, we get freedom. We get freedom, but at the same time that we get freedom, when we leave Egypt, God tells us, now you've got to learn how to wait. Now you've got to learn how to use your freedom. Not only that, but now you've got to bless the waiting period. You've got to bless this time. All right, now let's get into that a little bit more. What does that mean to bless this time? All right, so, so I heard Rabbi Green say something very, very interesting. He said, he said you know, take, take a normal businessman. You know, I'm not talking about any Donald Trump type guy right now. Just a, your normal businessman. How many giant deals does this businessman do over the course of his career? Maybe none. Maybe a couple, if he's lucky. You know, maybe. Most of his business, if he's, you know, really, you know, working hard every single day and all the rest and involved, most of his business is, it's a little deal here, it's a little deal there, it's a medium-sized deal here, it's a medium-sized deal there, it's a small deal here, it's a small deal there, and that's what it is. And over the course, you, you earn a little on this one, and this one, and this one, and this one, and then you pay the rent, you, got some, you, you, you can cover the expenses, hopefully, God will, right? So he says that, you know something, that's our lives, and you'll see what I'm getting to in a moment. A lot of us want to do that big, giant mitzvah. And it's great if you can do it. You know, and we're going to talk about it in a moment, in a second, not having a visa, right? Because they want you to do, like, your biggest mitzvah in the entire world. Not having a visa, that's in this week's Parsha. Not having a visa, were the sons of Aaron, and they were super holy. They were Aaron's, like the the high priest, the claim Gadol's two top sons, two eldest sons. Super holy. In fact, the the sages say, and I, I, my brain can't even absorb it, but I'm just going to tell you what the sages say. Holier than Moshe and Aaron. Right? Holier than Moshe and Aaron. Now, I, again, that thought can't even fit into my brain, but I'm just telling you what it says. So, and yet, what did they do? Well, they did something because they were struck dead by God when they were dedicating the tabernacle, the Mishkan. And the Mishkan, you should know, was, is the connection between heaven and earth. It's like this divine porthole connecting heaven and earth. Okay? So, not only that, but, but there are about 13 different reasons given why they were, they were struck. Alright? No one can even agree on it. One is that they, they got drunk. Another is that they didn't wash their hands and their feet before they did the service. Another is that they brought strange fire. Whatever that means. To the to the to the uh, to the altar, they were married. They 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 paskened halacha. They 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 made halachic decisions in, in the presence of Moshe and Aaron, which is like a big chutzpah. Like, what are you doing? Like, they're the ones who call the shots. You know what I mean? No, don't make those decisions. You don't make those decisions in front of them. You know, there's so many reasons given, but the most dramatic reason that's given is they stormed into the holy of holies. They ran into the Holy of Holies. Now that's, that's done by the high priest once a year on Yom Kippur. That's it. So, so, so Reb Shlomo like, loves Nadav and Avihu. And he just sees them as these holy revolutionaries, basically. And the idea of them storming into the Holy of Holies is like, is like they were on fire. They were absolutely on fire. Okay, And they, just, they basically wanted to fix the entire world. They wanted to do it with one mitzvah. Like they're going to go in, they're going to storm the Holy of Holies, and basically heaven is going to come down to earth, and that's it, that's Mashiach. But it doesn't work that way. Why? Why doesn't it work that way? Because of that waiting period. Because it's a process. Because it's not that zillion dollar deal that you do, for the most part. So these are the, these are the day ins and the day outs of our life. Now, I, I want to make it very real right now. What I'm trying to say is, is that we're like that, we're like that businessman. And, and our daily mitzvahs, our daily mitzvahs, are the real substance of our lives. And a lot of times, we look at our daily activities and we go, well, this is just what I'm doing until I do the thing that I really want to be doing. But no, for the most part, 
When you look at your life and what you're doing, that's what you're doing. <laughs> that actually is your life. And that's okay. It may not be your fantasy scenario of your life. And I'm not saying that your, your checklist of things that you want to happen aren't going to happen. God should bless us all. We should get our checklist for the good and everything else. You know what I'm saying? But don't disparage what you're doing every day. Because that's what you're doing. That's who you are. That's where it's at. The opposite. Bless the waiting period. You might view it as, I'm just waiting till the, till the train gets in, right? I'm at the gate. I'm waiting for the plane to take off to my fantasy, right? But when you're at the gate, make sure you're smiling at the guy sweeping up the carpet. <laughs> make sure you ask permission at the Starbucks before you take like 49 sugars and stick them in your bag. <laughs> Because that's, that's where it's at. That's actually where you're at. So look very closely at what you're doing every single day and treasure those things. Now it says, it says in Perkei so bless those things, right? It says in Perkei that we don't know what the reward for a small mitzvah is and what the reward for a big mitzvah is. So don't disparage a small mitzvah. It could be that these things that seem very small to us Saying hello to the news guy, right? Is a giant thing. Is a giant thing because that's what we've been handed out. That's what we've been handed. So, so now listen to this. Something I was struck by. At the end of every single parsha, there's a little note that tells you how many verses, how many sukkim are in that week's parsha. So the sages, like, they kept track of absolutely everything, you know? There's really this amazingly exhaustive, you know, accounting sheets. You just have to know where to look for them. So, so it says here in Parsha Shmini, right, which is, starts off with Nagav and Avihu, basically storming into the Holy of Holies, right? Trying to end it all on the dedication of the Mishkan, the tabernacle, which is the connection of heaven and earth. It says there are 91 psukim. Now, what's so striking about that, if you know 91, like, for those of you in the know, are, that's like code, basically, for, that's gematria, for, like, a very big word in Torah, which is the word amen. Okay? 91 is, is the combination of two of Hashem's holiest names, the Yudke Vavke and Aleph Dalad Nun and Yud. Aleph Dalad Nun and Yud connotes God's mastery over the world. And the Yudke Vavke is basically God's infinity. And you put them together, basically heaven and earth, 65 and 26, that adds up to 91. And you've got right here on the dedication of the Mishkan, 91 Sukkim, which is basically the Mishkan combining heaven and earth. Right? Now as Rav Shlomo says though, and here's like a real practical teaching. If you want to combine heaven and earth, if you want to bring heaven down to earth, right? By the way, just as an aside, I heard, uh, I saw Rabbi Kaplan, R.A. Kaplan wrote it down. He says, you know what the difference between Hasidus and Kabbalah is? Kabbalah tries to bring man up to God. Hasidus brings God down to man. Right? So, I try to focus on Hasidus. I don't really know anything about Kabbalah, you know? Although, Hasidus is really a distillation of Kabbalah, by the way. But, but anyway, the idea of bringing God down to man, if you want to be able to balance both of those worlds, you have to master this art. And this is like one of the hardest things in the world. So, so this is, Rav Shlomo says, uh, basically like this. You've got to have, learn to have your feet on the ground and your head in the class simultaneously. Most people get one or the other. <laughs> Their heads in the clouds, but their feet are not on the ground. That's a recipe for trouble. It's a recipe for trouble. Although, I'll tell you something. Someone once said to, about me and my wife, something that I, I always liked, which was, this person said, you know, when I, I picture the two of you, I picture, like, you're like this helium balloon, and Judy is holding on to the string. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, if you can't... If you, if you can't keep your own feet on the ground, marry someone who does have their feet on the ground. <laughs> or vice versa. Or vice versa. Or just get a good friend who's got it going on. You know? You just need a good friend. That's all. 
So, or people have their feet on the ground, but their head isn't in the clouds, you know, because, you know, you can be real good at the day-to-day stuff, but if you haven't got the vision, if you haven't got the, the big, big picture, then, you know, you're all, you're all messed up in a completely different way. Um, you know, Rav Shlomo said something so deep about the nature of freedom. Can you get more into what freedom is in a, in a little while? He said something so intense about the nature of freedom. He said that uh, if you go up to a slave, let's say you go up to a slave in the morning, and you say, what are you thinking about? The slave will say, ah, oh, you know, what am I going to have for lunch? Thinking about, I can't get something for lunch. You go up to him in the afternoon, and you say to him, hey, what are you thinking about? He goes, I, what am I going to have for dinner? You know, I've got to get something for dinner. You go up to him at nighttime and say, what are you thinking about? He says, where am I going to sleep? I've got to get some straw to sleep on. Alright, so, so that's, that's a slave mentality. That's someone basically who has their feet on the ground, but, but, but that's it, bless you. He says that, you know something? Look at someone whose, whose vision is that of, of basically the, the perfection of the universe. Someone who really is like envisioning utopia, right? Like a world without war or or, or hunger or, or or obstacles to to connecting to like God. That person should have all of the problems in the entire world, and yet somehow they get lifted up by their vision. It should be the opposite, because this person who just wants a hamburger Ripshulma says that hamburger becomes the, the heaviest burden on their back to carry. The smallness of their needs becomes the biggest bit of slavery. Whereas if you've got, like, if you just go for broke, and you've got the whole perfection of the world in mind, it should be that the burden should be the absolute heaviest. Because think of all the obstacles preventing you from reaching that place. Millions of obstacles. And yet somehow that vision picks you up and lifts you up. So, so Rav Shlomo says in the name of the Ishbetzer, and here's the, here's the core of the teaching right here. He says that the first thing that Moshe had to do when taking the Jews out of Egypt, out of slavery, listen to this, was to take them out of their smallness. First thing a person has to be taken out is their smallness, their limited vision. Just that the, that the, that the, the, Urgency of their immediate needs shouldn't completely blind them to everything else that's going on. And when you open up someone's heart and you open up someone's mind, you can free them. That's the first stage of freeing someone. Now listen to this song. It gets deeper. Because you think, okay, my heart is open now. My mind is open. That happened to the Jews. They leave Egypt. But now... Now there's another cleansing that has to take place. And this is what's going on with us right now in this period of the year. This is the sphere Somer. This is the raising up toward Mount Sinai. Which is... Which is the following. You see, like Rabbi Shlomo says, you can, you can go to Jamaica. Let's say you're being uh, oppressed here or something like that by someone. You escape to Jamaica. Now you're in Jamaica. Now you say, ah, I'm free. And maybe it's true. Maybe you did escape the person who was messing you up, right? Now I'm in Jamaica. I'm free. But you're not really free. You're kind of free. Like, I guess they call that pulling a geographic, right? You're in Jamaica, but inside of you is that fear of that guy who you ran away from. Or that thing, right? That, that controlling force in your life, whatever that is. It's still inside of you. Even though... Technically speaking, I wake up when I want to wake up, I go where I want to go, no one tells me what to do. But am I really, really free? Mm, Not so much. So now you have to be taken out and liberated from that stuff that's still inside of you. Right? That's the deeper cleansing. Okay? What I I found, which uh, sort of like, very much sort of like, goes with this teaching, I noticed that if you look at the Haftorah for the second day of Pesach, you know, the Mishkan, the, the, the tabernacle is, 
as we said, it's a, it's a microcosm for the whole universe, but it's also a microcosm, it's a miniature of a human being, because each person is a miniature world. Okay? So each one of us is a Mishkan. What's really interesting is if you look at the Haftorah of the second day of Pesach, what's it all about? It's all about the king of Israel is cleaning out all of the, the, the Avodah Zorah, all of the statues and idol worship that had gotten inside the base of Migdash, inside the Holy Temple. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? In other words, we got out of Egypt. So you say we're free. Well, partly true. Partly true. We're free on the outside. But what about all that junk on the inside? Ah, so second day of Pesach, you look in the Haftorah, what are they doing? They're cleaning out the Holy Temple. They're cleaning out the inside of all the idols, of all the ties, the, all the emotional ties to the negativity that they left behind. That's got to be cleaned out. You can be out of Egypt, but you still got the Egypt inside of you. Got to get that out now. Okay. So now let's talk about what this process is. Let's talk about what this process is. I want to say something. Um, you know, we've been talking about it, but I just, I just think it's so important. You see, Pesach, freedom, and Yom Kippur, I just want to go over a couple of sources. Pesach and Yom Kippur are tied together in a very deep, deep way. And um, you see it in a number of places. Basically, I said that the whole journey from Pesach was in order to get the Torah, right? But when do we really get the, the, the tablets, the luchos that we end up keeping? That was the second set of tablets. And the day that we received those as a people was on Yom Kippur. So there you see a very strong tie that Pesach really goes all the way to Yom Kippur. Freedom and forgiveness. Freedom and forgiveness. And why is that? Why do you need freedom and forgiveness tied together so strongly? And the reason is, is because if you're really free, that means you're going to make a mistake. And you can only stay free if you know that you can be forgiven for the mistakes that you've made. That's what it is. Because if I'm free, but I'm so afraid of making a mistake that I can't allow myself to act at all, then I'm still a slave. If I'm, if I'm free and I'm going to make choices, that means that I'm, I'm a human being. I'm not always going to be right. Which means I'm going to make mistakes. Which means that God can only give us freedom if He's promising us forgiveness as well. And He does. And that's the connection between Pesach and Yom Kippur. I'll tell you something else intense about the two. You know, there are two times of, uh, of the year, every year, that, the, that we wear a kittel, which is a white garment. We wear it on Yom Kippur, and we wear it at the Pesach table. Two, two strong ties, freedom and forgiveness. Right? Not only that, but listen to this. Pesach starts with the letter P. Now, now we're going to get more intense. Okay. okay, so now we're going to get deeper here because I want to I want to show you another level how far this goes in terms of freedom and forgiveness. When we start counting the Omer, you'll see it says Yom Echad. That means the first day. Yom Echad. Now, what's striking about this is that the very first day of Pesach, you know, when you look at how sort of like the, 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 the heavens are, are mapped out, you'll see we have this concept of the top of heaven, which is the 50th gate, also known as the Shar Hamishin. Now, the 50th gate is, is, is a gift that God gives us, this highest level of spirituality, the first night of Pesach. It's just a free gift. God just gives it to us and takes us out of, out of Egypt. But then the counting of the Omer starts, and we drop down from the 50th level all the way down to Yom Echad, to the first day. And then we have to climb day by day, remember, blessing the waiting period, cleaning out the base of Migdash, 
cleaning out the, the inner self on the way to Mount Sinai, which is on the 50th day. So we start at the 50th day, we start at the top, we drop all the way down to the bottom, and then we go step by step till we get back to the 50th day, which is Mount Sinai. Okay? So, so now listen to this. Yom Echad is the same language that the Torah uses by the creation of the world. Yom Echad. It says Yom Echad. And there the Medrash, in terms of the count of the days of creation, asks a very interesting grammatical question. Because it says, Yom Echad, Yom Sheni, Yom Shlishi. Yom Echad means one day. Then it says, the second day, the third day. So if you want it to be grammatically consistent, it should say, the first day, the second day, the third day. Right? But it doesn't say that. It says, one day, second day, third day. You hear the inconsistency? Yeah? So the Medrash jumps on this and says, so what does this mean, one day? So it says, one day where God basically was just all by himself. The first day of the creation of the world, God was all by himself. And then, they've got some other commentaries too, and they say like this, listen, says, says in the Gomorrah, there's a Gematria, that says, Hasatan, basically the Satan, right, which means the, right, that, that, that dark side, remember we, we say, we say there's only one power in the world, Hashem Echad, right? That evil works for good. So, but nonetheless, Hasatan represents that, that dark side. The Gematria, the numerical equivalent of Hasatan, the Gemara says, is 364. Now, there's 365 days in the, in the, in the year, on the solar calendar, right? Which means, there's one day, the Gemara says, that's free of any traces of bad. And what is that day? Yom Kippur, which is the day of forgiveness. So, so amazingly, the rabbis point out that on the very first day of creation, when it says Yom Echad, it's hinting at the forgiveness of Yom Kippur. Which means, who is God? God is the one who foresaw human beings, foresaw our humanity, foresaw our fallibility, and on the very first day of the creation of the entire world was already creating forgiveness for everyone. The very first day of creation was already creating forgiveness for everyone. Now with that in mind, let's go back to this. We start off the first day of Pesach on the 50th level, the Shar Hamishim, the 50th gate. And then the next day we drop all the way down to Echad. From 50 all the way down to 1. But what did we just say 1 stands for? 1 stands for the oneness of God. And it also stands for Yom Kippur. It also stands for forgiveness. In other words, even if in your own life you fall from a great height all the way down to the bottom, you're still with the Echad. You're still with God. You know, if you fall off a wagon in Torah, you fall onto another wagon. You're never off the wagon. Because God is absolutely everywhere. You're in touch with the Echad wherever you go. Now, one last point on this, then we're going to go on. Which is, the very first letter of the Torah, the Bays of Breshis, which is from the first day, the Bays of Breshis, right? There's an invisible letter wrapped around the Bays, which is the letter Pei, or Fe. Which I want to say stands for poor, which stands for Pesach. In other words, freedom and forgiveness, right? Going together, freedom and forgiveness. Pesach stands for freedom. The days of the first day of the Echad, which is hinting at Yom Kippur, stands for forgiveness. So tied at the very origin, the very origin of all of existence, are these twin concepts. Wrapped together of freedom and forgiveness. Now, where else do you see this? Now we're going to get into a little bit the philosophy of astronomy, right? <laughs> okay. The Torah of astronomy. You ready for this? I found another connection with Pesach and Yom Kippur, which is the Parsha in the Torah that talks about Yom Kippur 
is Achremos. Okay? That's the name of the Parsha. Now, every leap year, you ready? This is going to be like a really detailed question, but it's very cool. Every leap year, and we've got approximately, we have to check it, about every 9 out of 17 years is, is a leap year, in, in, in a, which means we add an extra month. And why are we adding an extra month? Because there's a mitzvah that Pesach, the time of, time of freedom, has to happen during the springtime, which makes sense. Because what happens during springtime? You see, everything looks dead on the outside, Right? From winter, all the leaves have fallen off the tree. Everything looks dead. Have you ever seen, I don't know if you guys are from the East Coast, have you ever seen a tree in winter? You say to yourself, could this, like, sprout flowers and leaves and fruit? No way! It's dead! It's absolutely dead! And what happens when springtime comes? All of a sudden, life springs out of it. It's incredible. It's actually incredible. It really is. Um, So, Pesach, which is the time of freedom, has to happen in springtime, where life is emerging. Life is jumping out of death. Okay. So in order for that to happen, if we were purely a lunar calendar, like, for instance, the, the um, Islam has a totally lunar calendar, and they have a holiday called Ramadan. So Ramadan can actually happen anywhere during the entire calendar year. Because it's not tied to the sun. So it could happen in the summer, it could happen in the winter, it could happen in the spring. It just floats around. Our calendar is mostly lunar, but it's also partially solar. Which means that the calendar gets adjusted to make sure that Pesach is always happening in the springtime. And in order to do that, sometimes you have to add an extra month. And we add the month of Adar. We could have added any month. So I heard from Rabbi Salmon Trader something beautiful. Adar is the month of joy, because whenever you want to fix anything in life, you have to do it with joy. Joy is the fixing. Right? Even when it comes to time, joy is the fixing. Okay? So maybe that's the answer to boredom also, by the way. You know? So, but anyway, so if you want to add time, you also have to add joy. (laughs) Um, So we add this extra month of Adar. Okay, so now let's return back to this thing. That's called a leap year when we add the extra month which keeps the moon close to the sun. Keeps the moon from wandering too far away from the sun. Alright, now we get to the point. Hopefully, hopefully we're in, in good with all that homework. Okay? So here's the question. Akremos is the Parsha of Yom Kippur. Every leap year, Akremos either comes the Shabbos before Pesach or the Shabbos after Pesach. You see, Yom Kippur tied to Pesach on the partial level. And this happens during the leap year. So the question is, why during the leap year is this happening? Okay? And so, so now listen to this. Normally speaking, we said you've got 12 months, but in a leap year you have 13 months. So we know that... Um, on a deep level, each, each month has one of the 12 tribes assigned to it. So the question is, when you have 13 months, what tribe is assigned to the 13th month? Right? You're out of tribes. So Rabbi Wilson said something beautiful. When the Jews traveled in the desert, there was something called the Anani HaKavit, the clouds of glory, which was over them. And was like this amazing, miraculous thing. It kept them shaded. It also was, if we were ever attacked... Like it was like this bulletproof cloud, like arrows would bounce off of it. You know, there, it kept your clothes clean. It was like a dry cleaning machine. It was, it was amazing. The clouds of glory were amazing. It, it wiped out all the snakes that were going in front of you, you know, or scorpions in the desert. The clouds of glory was really where it was at, okay? Now, the Jews we know encamped, and they traveled from place to place, which means at a certain point, the clouds started to move. Alright, now listen to this. There was a group of Jews in the desert. When the cloud would start to move, they would go, eh, you know, like, I, in my, I'm not asking you to make this connection, but in my own mind, you know, I, I'm not always on time for minutes. I think, okay, you know, I get there, you know, and I heard someone, I, I heard someone say one time, if it was a plane leaving, would you make sure that you were on time? <laughs> <laughs> 
Absolutely. So anyway, I've got to work on that with myself. But so I'm identifying with these people. The cloud is starting to move, right? And they were like, eh. And you know what happened? The cloud actually went on without them. And they were left outside the cloud. And they were vulnerable to attack. And when Amalek attacked us in the desert, who did they attack? The group outside of the cloud. Those are the people who got it. Those are the people who, who got it. And spiritually speaking, that group was considered really the lowest group, spiritually speaking, because they didn't motivate themselves and they didn't care enough to get it together and to get under the cloud when the cloud was starting to move. Okay? So Rabbi Wilson says something beautiful. He says, that group outside the cloud, that's the 13th, that's the 13th tribe. That's what gets covered. In other words, even the lowest level is included and, in protect, and is protected and is part of the Jewish people. Okay? So, so now, with that in mind, we can understand something that always mystified me. You know, there's a prayer that we say on Rosh Chodesh when we're counting the new month, right? In, in this case, let's say the 13th month. And there's a special edition that we make when, uh, when it's a leap year. And that special edition is, we ask, we, we, we praise God, it's like just a, just a tiny little edition, who forgives willful, willful sin. Which is, which is really intense. Because it's sort of like, a lot of people make mistakes, and it's like, God, I didn't mean to do it. And okay, and God says, okay, I know you didn't mean to do it, come on back. But then there's also a level where it's sort of like, you know what, God? I actually really did want to do that. (laughs) I'd like to tell you I didn't want to do that, but I really did want to do that. I did it on purpose. And it's like, God says, even that level, God says, all right, look, just don't do it anymore. Try your best not to do it, and, you know, you're you're back in it, right? So, So there's this extra level of forgiveness for willful, willful sin that comes during the leap year. And we make, special, we make special mention of it in the Rosh Chodesh Avni. So now you see, wow, a leap year. Now let's go back to the question. Now we'll give an answer to it. You see that in a leap year, the Parsha Achremos is always right before Pesach or right after Pesach. In other words, the Parsha of Yom Kippur, because Achremos contains Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur is tied to Pesach every single leap year. Why? Why? Because when the moon starts to get too far away from the sun, the sun, so to speak, pulls the moon back. So what does that mean? We know that the Jewish people are compared to the moon. And we reflect the light of the sun. We reflect the light of God. God is the sun. Okay? And so, so in an, even in a leap year, right, where God forgives willful sin, the sun, so to speak, is pulling back the moon. Right? That they should be in sync. That even on the level of willful sin, the forgiveness is the strongest, right? And, uh, anyway, God is always forgiving, right? But this is, uh, this is the special mention that we make of it anyway. Alright, so, so, so I just want to say one more thing about Matzah, if I can. Which is, which is, you know, we've been talking about Atbash for a while. And I'm, I'm really into Atbash, i got to say. And I found like an Atbash over Pesach that I was so happy about. For those of you who, who, who are coming late to the Atbash party, <laughs> basically it's a, it's, a, it's a system of uh, exchanging letters in, in, in the Hebrew alphabet, and it gives you access to deeper levels of the Torah, okay? So the way it works is there are 22 letters in the Torah, so you line up the first 11, and then underneath the next 11, and then you can trade them all off, and you can substitute them, and you come up with all sorts of amazing different things. Aleph, the first letter becomes the last letter, At, right? Aleph becomes Tuf, Bash, Base becomes Shin, you can flip them, okay? So now, I heard from Rav Shlomo that he said that the light of Pesach is so extraordinary that there is no vessel that can hold the light of Pesach except for matzah. Alright? Now, 
It says angels eat light. Alright? And that mana was basically condensed light. Alright? So it was really the food of angels. So we really, like, dined on the food of angels for 40 years in the desert. Now matzah, listen to this, matzah. Ma- oh, Rav Shlomo also said, the letter hay is a vessel. Alright? And... So, so, so matzah is spelled mem sadi he. So the he is a vessel. Okay? Now the atbash of mem is yud, and the atbash of sadi is he. So you have yud he, right? The yud he is like the upper reaches of Hashem's name, like the yud he vav right? So, and, and the letter he of matzah is a vessel. So you see there in atbash, how matzah is a vessel for the light of yud He. Do you see? Because mem is yud, sadi is he, and he is a vessel. So, so, so matzah is really like matzah is really like man. You know. So I told I told someone this, and he 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 wrote back to me and he said, yeah, but so is challah, because we know one of the reasons why we have two challahs is because is because of the double portion of man. But Chala, he, and he's right, by the way, if you rearrange the letter of Chala, Chalot, it's the letters Luchot, which is the, ta- the tablets that the Torah was given on. And we know the first set of tablets were like these superna- this supernatural entity, which was also like a condensed light, you know? So basically, ah, it's good to eat light, huh? <laughs> Um, uh, <laughs> all right, I'm just going to wrap it up with this last, this last little story. Um, you know, when you're traveling with a bunch of kids and everything like that, and I don't know, I guess it's also a, based on your personality and things like that, it's very easy to, to accumulate large amounts of luggage. <laughs> Some people are good about this. We're, we're not in that category. We're in the sort of small mountain, you know, of luggage category. So, so we're trying to, like, stuff all of this stuff in the car and all the rest and we're coming back a couple of days ago and my wife has like this this box of matzah that she's taken and it's like you know it's not like one of those supermarket boxes it's one of those big cardboard boxes have you seen those you know which has the shmur matzah which is like it's about it's about a foot tall and about a foot and a half wide I mean it's a massive thing if, especially after Pesach is over and you haven't got enough room in the entire car for your luggage, right? To take a giant box of matzah, it's like, I said to her, what are you doing? You know, we, we haven't got room for this. And she's like, I'm taking the matzah. <laughs> so put it by my feet. And I was like, all right, all right, we haven't got room for it, but all right. So we're, we're driving, you know, this is from the Catskills to get back to Manhattan now. We're driving, driving. And then... Uh, I don't know who said it, but someone said, um, do, do we have anything to eat? Yeah. And Judy said, uh, well, we have some matzah. And this is after Pesach now. And then before, before <laughs> cut to, everyone, including me, is like feasting on matzah. <laughs> we're so happy for the matzah. <laughs> then, later on, we're going from, we're in a cab now, we're going from, or we split up, I was in a cab, going from, from Manhattan to JFK. And, oh man, it's start and stop traffic. It's the worst. Me and my son are like, we can't even move, because if we move the wrong way, we're, we're, we're going to lose it. We're going to like throw up all over the place, right? We're just so carsick. And we, thank God, we make it to JFK without losing it. And we're so sick. And we both see the bag with the matzah in it. <laughs> We're like, matzah! And we start eating the matzah. And my son is like, why does it work? And I'm like, well, you know, it absorbs the acid in your stomach. I'm sure there's higher reasons. But anyway, so we're feasting on the matzah. And Judy's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Then we get on the airplane. <laughs> and like, no one wants to eat anything. But in the overhead luggage, we have the giant box of matzah. And we're all sitting with, like, sheets of matzah, you know? So, anyway, you know, we've got, we've got the matzah, but we also have the challah to look forward to. And uh, 
Shem should bless us. We should, just to, just to recap all the themes here, we got to know, feet on the ground, head in the clouds, or vice versa, and if you can't do it on your own, grab a friend, right? Number two, you got to bless the waiting periods in your life, because for a lot of us, that is our life. Don't disparage your life by just calling it the waiting period. You know, and value, you say, well, I'm doing this little thing, what's this little thing, and what's this little thing? You know what that is? That's your life. You know, I was talking to someone. He's like 30 years old, and, I, I, and he's, he's not married, and he's dating this girl. And he said, you know, I said, you know, she sounds great to me. You know, I know this guy. She sounds great. I said, I said so? He said, you know, he said, the way I would describe her is, she's really someone who I could marry. You know, he, he, and he went on a little more length, but that was the bottom line. Really someone I could marry. And I said, you know something? When you're 30 and you meet someone who's really someone who you can marry, you know what you call that? And he said, what? I said, your wife! You know? <laughs> That's it! <laughs> marry her! <laughs> so, 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 you know, when you look at your life and you're saying, oh, yeah, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, that's your life! That's your life, that's not the waiting period. Don't diss your life, don't disrespect your life by just calling it that. That's it, treasure that, value that stuff. And also, to know that we got to make bold moves, and we got we got to act, and we got to remember, freedom and forgiveness, they're tied together. You know, God cuts us some slack. He wants us to act in this world. He wants us to be a part of this world. Do good things. And also remember, it's not, as much as in our fantasy scenario, what's going to fix everything is that running into the Holy of Holies like not up in a view. They died. <laughs> there's not a happy end to that story, really. Right? It's, the, it's that climbing toward Mount Sinai. It's that step-by-step process. That's how God wants it. That's how God wants it. There have been plenty of tzaddikim in the world. Right? They haven't brought Mashiach yet. This is our job. Stay in it every single day. And, um, and hold on to the light. Okay, guys, have a great week. Good.